When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast with Mark Allred, Court Lalonde, and Rob Tomlin. You can subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Player.fm, SoundCloud.com, and Stitcher Radio. You can help the show financially by going to the blackandgoldhockeyblog.com website and clicking on either the Amazon.com or Fanatics.com banners to the right before shopping online. Now, time to start the Bruins Hockey Talk from three different countries. Enjoy the show! Orr fights to keep it in, does, has it in the corner to Sanderson. Back in front door, shot, scores! Ray Bork. Hello Bruins fans and welcome back for episode 61 of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast brought to you by Grandstand Sports Network, the best seat in the house. We are back. This is uh, an exciting time for the offseason. Our vacation time is officially over, and we are back on week-to-week episodes leading up to the NHL season, which starts in about five weeks. So we have five episodes to get you prepared, and uh, we want to be your source for anything Boston Bruins news leading you up to the beginning of the year and, obviously, the uh, preseason schedule. Um Rob Court, welcome back. How are we doing? I'm good. I'm hoping everyone else is good too. I'm fantastic. I'm doing fine as well. Enjoying, uh, enjoying a nice Sunday afternoon. Yes. And I've just realised we get less of an off season than the actual hockey players themselves. So <laughs> working hard as always, and I believe that I'm the only one of this trio that doesn't actually play golf. So, oh wow! And you I, really no golf? Yeah, I didn't have a off season really at all. Then <laughs> didn't get to play my golf. So I have never been to a golf course. I can hit a ball pretty far on driving range, and that's about it. Oh, that's where my talent ends. Well, if you ever come to North America, you will join Court and I in a in a in an episode of beer drinking and golf fun oh yeah so you can laugh at me when i can't even hit the ball listen (laughs) you haven't seen my game yet buddy (laughs) below par by 54 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well anyway we got we got uh besides our golf game uh good 
or indifferent. Um, we do have a couple topics that we did get together, and um, later on in the show, as I've teased it up many times this week, we do have our first former Bruins player, and I'm wicked pumped. I, I had a great conversation with this gentleman, and I look forward to maybe talking to him again, and hopefully um, meeting him face to face in the future sometime. Uh, unbelievable uh, person, unbelievable story. Please stay tuned for that towards the end of the show. We will definitely get that to you. But let's get at the topics in hand. I am not going to stop this topic until it gets done and revolu- uh, it's resolved. So, David Pasadak negotiations are continuing. Uh, but uh, Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe is reporting the Bruins offered him a seven-year deal at $42 million. Um, Rob, what do you think about this? And is that a fair offer? And and if it is a fair offer, then how come it wasn't accepted? I I think, along with a few people, that this is he wants to be sure that he's going to get his money, even if there's a lockout, which looks likely in the next few years, especially with the uh, <clears throat> the Olympics. Um, mess up as I call it I think it's the most stupid thing ever but uh, with that happening I really think it's just the the bonuses like McDavid got his bonuses um, I believe with Drysaddle's contract there was bonuses to make it make sure he got paid if there was a lockout uh, the same with Ryan Johansson so I think it's just penny pinching and I think they should just give him give him what he wants. Maybe not exactly what he wants, but at least give him some bonus money to get him playing. So, and sorry, go. It, it, it's gonna it's gonna get resolved. Like everyone acts like Sweeney is sat there twiddling his thumbs, not even talking to Pasternak's agent. I guarantee every few days they're talking. So, so Mark, I'm sure you saw it. So Kevin. Paul DuPont, he came back with a, he says, so the Bruins have upped the offer to um, Jimmy Murphy just put six years, 42 million. So now finally $7 million a year. Oh, I, I just, I, I didn't, I don't think I saw that, but Jimmy um, Murphy just, Jimmy Murphy just as reported. Uh, I'm also hearing from, sorry, as first reported by Kevin Paul DuPont, I'm also hearing via multiple sources the NHL Bruins have upped the offer to Pasternak now to forty-two million six years. So that's at seven million dollars. I think that's fair. I, that is fair. I I have a funny feeling just from what I've been saying. I, I geez, I said it all last year. Um, it's just get it to that seven point five, and the deal's done. Yeah. Now, when I was looking at Drysdale's contract, his performance bonuses, he's got two sets. So. Uh, 2021, which is the lockout, is $7 million. And then um, uh, 22-23 gets another $7 million. I'm also shocked to see Milan Lucic has a performance bonus. It's all performance bonus, pretty much, his contract. He's lockout-proof well as well. Yeah. Huh. But Connor McDavid's is 92000 next year, and then $13 million, $13 million, $12 million, $13, 11 10 all performance bonus, the whole contract. Jeez. Crazy and 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 McDavid basically set the bar for. I mean, I know it's not, it's different position and and different times and so on. But um, you know, when he came out with that contract and and the offers off 
the Oilers offered him that contract um, really set the bar for everybody that needs to be resigned um, this, over the summer. So the market was just weird with numbers. Um, I, I, I found it a little more stranger than in previous years. Did you do you guys get the same feeling at all? Yeah, well, it's it's for this year. It's all people coming off the big contracts are coming from guys coming off their ECL, which is very rare. Um, usually, you know, the big big players like the the Crosbys off their ECLs got got the big deals, but not many other players. Like when um, all the guys were getting them last year, um, Goudreau and Monahan getting the six million dollar range. Everybody thought that was crazy, and then this summer it's like, yeah, add on another two point five. Yeah, but you know. For Drysidle, it's 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 a proven point in the NHL that a centerman usually gets paid more um, when they have the the same stats. So I do think the seven point five will work with Drysidle eight point five, Pashnak seven point five. It makes sense. He will be our highest paid player. Um, hey, people can't complain now that Krejci's the highest paid player anymore when it finally does happen. I don't see him being traded. It just doesn't make any sense. And even after Pashnak gets signed, there's other players that for like Vancouver has Bo Horvat, um, Phoenix has Anthony Duclair. Sam Bennett and Calgary, they're all waiting for Pasternak to be signed so they can put their bar on where they need to go. So the trickle-down effect. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. It, it's happening all over the league. And like I said last episode, I feel like, especially with, uh, in Edmonton with Shirelli, they're forcing the salary cap to go up because you can't put 30 skaters out there and pay a guy $12 million. Like you're paying, like more than ten percent of your salary to one player. It can't happen without a raise to the salary cap in the future. Uh, and I know the cap's there to force teams to degrade as time goes on, and the you can't sign these newer players because the older players still need to get paid. But it just doesn't seem like it's going that way, and. I have a feeling you'll you'll start to see the whole no trade clause thing start to die out as well. It seems like things will start going that way with players. It's well, there's going to be something in the collective bargaining agreement. I'm sure the owners are going to be like, all right, no more no trade clauses because all that does is just clog up the league. And you have, yeah. and unfortunately, it actually is is a burden on some players because they get shafted and thrown into the uh, to the minors because they can't they can't move them anywhere. We'll we'll look at Dustin Brown for LA. Yeah. Um, they couldn't move him out. He had a bad season, and then the fans just absolutely berated him all year. Um, you could hear it during some of the games, some of the chants coming from the LA crowd. Uh, and the thing is, he didn't have a horrible season performance-wise. It was just his points that he didn't put up. Uh, and when that happens, especially with a big hockey market like Boston, you see players just get... Look at Jimmy Hayes last season. He yeah. just it, it, I'm not surprised that he didn't put up points because the pressure that he must have had on himself, especially being a Boston native and knowing how it works, um, that must have just absolutely killed his confidence going out there every night. Uh, and he must he must question himself on why are they playing me if I'm playing this bad? Why haven't I not been put down in the AHL or on waivers or traded out? So it must must really weigh on players. Uh, speaking of uh, Jimmy Hayes, Jimmy Hayes uh, got a, a contract offer on a PTO uh, with the New Jersey Devils recently. So um, 
it's good to see that him uh, moving on to another team and and, and potentially a, a decent team in New Jersey as they're rebuilding. Now, this is assuming that he makes a uh, makes an NHL um, contract. But the other day, um, after a, a lengthy waiting period, um, uh, former Bruin Drew Stafford signed a, um, a one-year, eight hundred thousand dollar deal with the New Jersey Devils. Also, so uh, and and obviously a lot of the Bruin, local Bruins fans uh, a little disrupt about that because of the money. I don't think that that money would have been a, that number if he resigned in Boston. I think that he was holding and waiting to the last moment when Boston basically said, we're not going to resign you. New Jersey was the next best thing to get on board, so he took the deal. I, I, I want to say it would have been at least $2 million more than what he made um, and then what he's going to make in New Jersey. Is that a fair assumption? That basically he was kind of pushed into signing. Yeah, well, because he he waited out his time in Boston after when free agency started. It seemed like he was waiting for an offer from the Bruins. Probably turned down other teams as well. Uh, and then, like a lot of the guys this year, look at again look at Yaga. Like they waited out and waited out and the league's going younger, so you get to the end of free agency and you've got to snap up whatever deal you can get. Yeah, he turned into this year's Lee Stempiak. Yeah, exactly. And great point, Court. Um, but it, it, is, is it fair criticism of, of Bruins management that, that and, and some people are really beating Bruins management for not bringing Stafford back at that number? Well, I, who can, but it, it, we don't know what the number is. It's, it's, it's always fair to be armchair GMs like we're doing right now, but who knows what his offer was right. from the Bruins, and who knows what he could have signed for the Bruins? There's a lot of times <clears throat> players take discounts to go somewhere. Stafford probably um, took this deal because his options were getting very limited. Like you, Vanek still hasn't signed, Yager still hasn't signed. These guys are going to PTOs. Teams are looking at players at the age. Stafford's at 31, unfortunately, in the NHL. 31 is old, so when they get to that age, they get PTOs. And he just got offered eight hundred thousand dollars, so he took it. But you know what Boston's offer was? Zero. So. It's obvious. Otherwise, he would be a Boston Bruin. Right. I know. I, I understand Sweeney was probably like, hey, you know, the door's always open. But if you look at the youth we have coming down the road, yeah. Stafford was here for a cup of coffee, people. It yeah. Barely even a cup of coffee. He had half a cup. And you know what? A full season of him over the age of 31, he got – he's not a fast skater. I, I just – he is a piece that you get for the playoffs to, to play in your team for the rest of the playoffs and you let him go. For an he was a perfect trade last year. We paid nothing to get him. Um, it is what it is. He's not the type of player we need for a whole season. He he had a good run, but we can put in youth that are you're going to cost the same that actually can grow with the team. He's not going to grow with the team. He's only going to get older. And the thing is, fans get so attached to like trade deadline targets when a guy comes, like we saw it. We've seen it with so many players over the years. Um, and people get so attached to them and think, oh, we, we traded for him, he's going to be a Bruin for a long time. No, it, most players you get at the trade deadline go straight to free agency. And it's because they come to the they come to the team and when it comes to re-signing, they want three, four years. They want to play out the years with the team that traded for them and it's not how it happens in the league. 
Um, and Lee Stepniak was a perfect, perfect example of that. He did quite a good job. You probably could have got him for a small amount, but we let him go because he didn't fit the team for the full season. Uh, and like you said, look at it now. You could, you could easily rebuild the entire bottom six with Providence players. Yeah, or, I... or players coming out of high school or juniors. Like you could easily build a full bottom six and the bottom pairing of the defense core. So. Yeah, I, I, I honestly think, and and we are not in the room. We like Court said, we are armchair GMs, but. I think that Don Sweeney basically gave Stafford the ultimatum and said, "Listen, we can't. We don't know when we're going to lock up uh, David Pasternak. So any available funds, even though it seems that the Bruins will have that cap space to to lock up Pasternak and possibly, you know, have a little wiggle room for another player, they don't want to do anything right now until he, until that." that talented forward, the 21-year-old Pasternak is signed and, and locked up. So that's where I'm going with that. Oh, for sure. Their priority was Bjork, you know, getting the, getting these, these kids signed over the summer, um, Andrews Bjork and so on and so forth, and now it's Pasternak. And until you get your players that you have on your roster now taken care of, don't be looking after other guys. Exactly. And saying Stafford was part of our roster is a little bit of a stretch in my opinion. And yeah. especially yeah. if the game is turning into a speed game. And that is just not his game. Stafford, I know he scored a big goal for us this year. He scored, actually scored a couple of big goals at the end of the season. And that's the whole reason why people are like, oh, Stafford, you know what? Let him go. It's not that big of a deal. We right. have other guys who can fill in and do the same thing. You know, in a couple of weeks from now, you'll at the beginning of the season, a couple of weeks in, you're going to forget who he is. You know, this, this conversation would have been a lot different if we'd have got to, say, the third round for the Stanley Cup. Um if a guy like that is on a team that pushes through the first and second round, then maybe he'd have got re-signed. Maybe he'd have got his two million uh, for a season. Well, that's, that's we, fair. we didn't. We didn't get past the first round. We were beat up. This is the time to retool and look at how you want to go about the game. Plus, we've got a new new coach in Cassidy. Um, and I know he played the second half of the season and played, um, like the playoff series. But I mean, he got half a season. He didn't have the players that he chose there, um, and and now it's time for him to build a team out of players that he wants around. Um, and coming from Providence, he probably has a better understanding of the players that are down there, um, and he's worked with the youth through the Boston organization, I believe that he's going to play a really good offensive game and use the kids to the best of their abilities. I think it's going to look like a totally different team next year, really. Well, uh, segueing into uh, the, uh, moving along and segueing into the next topic, um, I wrote an article on Boston uh, blackandgoldhockeyblog.com about my, my particular roster uh, expectations for the 2017-18 season. And I just want to rattle them off and just um, – have you guys read the article? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Real quick, I'm just going to go right through and then just give me some input on, on your thoughts. Um, so uh, line one, I got Bergeron centering uh, Marchand and Bacchus. Yes. L- line two, 
I got Krejci, Centering, Bjork, and Pasternak. The third line, I have Spooner, Centering, Vetrano, and Riley Nash. Uh, the fourth line, I have Achari, Centering, Bolesky, and Tim Schaller. And my defensive pairings, uh, Chara McAvoy on the first, the second, Krug, Carlo, and the third, uh, Kevin Miller and Adam McQuaid. And obviously, um, I have uh, Rask and Hudobin as the uh, goalie tandem for this upcoming season. Uh, Rob, what do you think about that? Um, I I agree with most of it. I think the bottom line might look a bit different. Uh, Tim Scheller might spend some time down in the minors um, as like a, a figure, like a alternate captain or something. I, I believe if someone like Agostino or um, Sinitian or someone like that has a has a good camp, they could really use some speed on that fourth line. Uh, and if Bolesky's going to play down there with Achari, that's a whole lot of grit that you could put someone who can put the puck in the net, some young kid who's going to get fourth line time in a, in the NHL. I really think someone could fill in that role that Scheller does, uh, but with a bit more speed and a bit more scoring. Uh, that's the, that's really the only thing I'd change about it. Um, I really like your combinations of the first two defence pairings. I think Carlo will do a great job with Krug. Really steadies him out as a big defensive guy. And uh, Chara's got to spend a year with McAvoy. It's got to happen. If this is his last year as a Bruin, the best thing you can do is teach that kid for one year uh, and look at what he did with Carl. So, how about you, Carl? Well, I'm gonna say if it ain't broke, don't don't mess with it because I'm gonna the the difference is I'm gonna say that Chara and Carlo will be the number one pairing. Uh, I think McAvoy showed everybody uh, in the playoffs that he is he's here to stay. But I still think the way Carlo played way better with Chara, um, McAvoy doesn't need as much um, mentoring, in my opinion, as, Car- as Carlo does. I still think Carlo needs another year with Chara because um, McAvoy is the real deal right off the bat. Some and, and Carlo, when he wasn't with Chara last year, we all saw it besides the times when he fell and I created the drinking game out of it. Um <laughs> He 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 looked. He didn't have as much confidence out on the ice. Is the word I'd like to use. Yeah. Um, my dad would like to call it sometimes chicken with the head cut off. It's just when he didn't have Chara there to, because Chara talks a lot on the ice. As McAvoy was saying in his, in his interview when we heard it on another podcast, Chara talks a lot out there, and I think um, Carlo is going to need that. And I think that McAvoy played great with Chara in the playoffs, but I think he would just do just as well with Krug. It's not going to make a difference who McAvoy plays with because he is who he is and he's just going to get better. But Carlo, I still think, needs mentor. It's just in my opinion. Uh, and then with regards to the forward lines, I think they're great. Um, the only person that I would think that might get moved down is not Schaller because Schaller has to clear waivers. Yeah, I was going to say problem. that. Has, so Achari, actually, unfortunately, him and uh, uh, JFK for the, for the forwards, they're the ones that are going to be going up and down. Unfortunately, Achari could be the guy, the new Jimmy Hayes sitting over the box, but he won't be. I think Schaller will be that new guy. He won't be going down to Providence unless they send him at the beginning of the year because Schaller's got a clear waiver. So um, Achari, 
probably will get that spot. And I think, unfortunately for Schaller, he's got next year's his last year, and then he's UFA. I think he might fill that role of Jimmy Hayes, and we're going to see possibly if Spooner gets moved, JFK is up. Um, but you could see um, Corrali, um, somebody else, Sean Corrali, he could be up there, and, and Schaller be up uh, in the press box. Because that just after the playoffs, that that line, oof, so good as a as an agitator line. They score goals too, right? Yeah, yeah. and Corrale just showed how much bite he's got. Uh, he just went out like a wrecking ball in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and to me, playoffs mean a lot. If the player can play well in the playoffs, he can he can make your roster. And I and it coaches look oh, at yeah. the same way. So Corrale and uh, Achari, the way they played, is going to go a long way for them in camp. It's going to make the coach not see the mistakes as much. And I could see Schaller being, because there's always the guy that sits up in the press box, right? Like Postma, like he's going to be eating a lot of popcorn this year. And and unfortunately for Tim Schaller, he's going to be probably eating a lot of popcorn as well. Now, when you're looking at the, at, at my predictions for for this um, uh, 2017-18 Bruins season, what I'm, what I'm, I'm basing heavily on the fact is that most of these guys have NHL contracts um, and um, with Bjork being the only one on an ELC right now, also McAvoy, but uh, and, Carlo. and Carlo and Carlo, yes, uh, thank you, and Vetrano, and Vetrano, boy, I'm nailing this one. I- I'm just so happy I have two great friends that got my back. So, um, hey, not not easy stuff to remember, right? <laughs> Especially at my age, right? <laughs> um. The, the reason why I, br- I brought these out is because these guys have already pretty much um, been around the league, uh, obviously, without Bjork. But, um, and the, the other thing is, is like everybody, there's a lot of people that, that had positive input on my article saying, what about this player and what about that player? Well, here's my point about bringing in younger players for the first time in the league. Um, you know, it's just... If you didn't see Jimmy Hayes get waived last season, um, it, I, I'm on the strong assumption that the Bruins' ownership are, are penny pinches when it comes to maximizing everything they can get out of a contract, regardless of where you go. So if you sit in the ninth floor eating popcorn, you're still a part of that team and you're still making NHL money. I have a hard time believing that, that they enjoy sending a player down to Providence um, and and paying him NHL money, even though you get a cut, you know, a certain, you know, a percentage well, of that. You get a bigger percentage when you send a guy with an ECL, right? So, but if, if like if for instance, if you send if Bolesky is not doing well at all, and you and you want to send him down, even though it's it's going to be tough to do. Um, well, no, it wouldn't be with him. No one's going to pick up that contract, right? So I mean, most likely he will pass through waivers, and then you're going to be paying him NHL pretty much NHL money, playing in the AHL, and then bringing up a kid, which I believe could happen, but I just don't see it happening because of the fact is that if it didn't happen to Jimmy Hayes last season, I'm not sure about it's going to happen in the future. So that's basically where I'm kind of um, gauging uh, on my 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 um, my uh, NHL Boston Bruins roster for this upcoming season. I am going to come out with a an article on the players that can challenge in camp for roster spots. Like I can see uh, somebody going for um, like if, if Vitrano doesn't prove that he that he's he's got a better two way game, I could see somebody coming in for him. Uh, Jake DeBrusque is a perfect example. 
um, definitely. If uh, if Spooner doesn't pr- produce, um, maybe it's at time to see um, a better sample size of JFK coming into that line. I mean, there's so many different uh, um, scenarios that can be done, but uh, I just wanted to touch on some of that. Um, and, like, and we're forgetting our boy as well for the fourth line that I thought was going to make it uh, Gabriel. I I am I, I'm a huge Gabriel fan. I love the kid. I love the way he plays, and I love his aggressive style. I just think he just uh, I think he needs a full season in the AHL before. He's just got that. He's got that determination. As oh, soon he does. As he gets on his skates. He just goes like a wrecking ball all the way around the ring. He just. I'd love to see him in Boston this year, but I don't. I don't reckon it'll happen. Yeah, like out of the guys that are, like I still think like Senechin. I know everybody loves him. I still think he'll be a, a Providence Bruin. He'll he'll play NHL games this year. Still think he'll be Providence. Yeah. Um, I can see Heinen, Agostino, um, those and Corrali getting a really solid look in oh, training sure. camp. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, I see Spooner gone. JFK probably last year they're probably like yeah he's going to be there because they thought they wouldn't have Spooner, but uh, they thought they could have moved him. Spooner goes JFK slots in that that's an easy um, easy thing. But like Achari is the only one that can go up and down, and it, unfortunately because he has a two way deal, he will go up and down to let players from Providence come up and and get a sniff this year. I'm telling you though, like without Bolesky and Hayes on Spooner's line, he's going to light it up this season. Let's hope so. And and I I hate it because they'll get to the end of the season and they'll go, yeah, we gave you one million last year and now you want six million. Uh, it's not going to happen. Bye bye. So I I kind of hope that it does, so we can trade him at the deadline and a million dollar contract for a like playoff contender. Um, yeah, you get a huge return if that guy's putting up numbers. Yeah, like I, I look at Spooner right now. He's 25 years old. Um, he does have speed. He does have offensive potential. But I just look at what is coming up in the Bruins organization, and unfortunately, his time has passed. He never, for Spooner to be a Bruin next year, he would need to play better than David Krejci this year, and that's not going to happen. So Spooner is expendable because your top two centers are Bergeron Krejci. Spooner can't be a third-line center. He needs to be a second-line center on a not-so-good hockey club. And because you got more teams in the NHL next year with Vegas, Spooner will find a, find a place somewhere. He'll get his 40 to 50 points every year and have a good, solid NHL career. Just, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be with the Boston Bruins. I think he's a good hockey player. I just think, unfortunately, looking at um, where he, he slots on the, the depth, he couldn't play wing when they tried it. It's just, unfortunately, he's got to go. Let's quickly call it which team takes Spooner from the Bruins this season. Well, someone someone's tweeting Vancouver, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Who do you think, Mark? Um, I would have to say Vegas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm gonna go with someone close to that, Arizona. Oh, I think the. The the swap with Declare makes too much sense. Uh, Declare doesn't like it out there. <clears throat> um, I I think it, that could be something that happens if the Bruins lack scoring down the right side. But um, I mean JFK and Declare and Bolesky on the third line, I wouldn't mind seeing that. 
I, I hate to break it to people, but I have a funny feeling if Spooner does get traded this year, it's for draft picks and futures. It's not going to be it for any player that's coming on the roster. Yeah, that, I, I'm kind of on the same board, but that's just my opinion. If though. it's a package I, I, deal for like a, a defenseman or another forward, I'm, I'm all about that too. But I see, I see value in both sides of the coin when it comes to Spoon. I can see a, a, a value on the team and a, and a trade chip. Yeah, I, I like, I love his speed. I love his offensive <clears throat> capabilities. It's just I look at the roster and I look at what's happening with you know JFK and all these guys coming up from the yeah, minors. You need to make room. Yeah, Danton Heinen, you know, Ryan Fitzgerald even in a couple of years. Yon and uh, uh, Kopainen, like, he played amazing. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. These, these guys are going to be <clears throat> taking these spots. Plus, plus, if you look around the league, there's all those players that are coming in next year that are on ELCs that can probably play third-line minutes. And if if Spooner outproduces, then trade them for a guy who can be a second-liner in the future. Maybe like four, four years down the line when once Krejci or Bergeron. So. Yeah, it's just unfortunately, it's just the dominoes are not going to fall, and Krejci ain't going anywhere, and neither is Bergeron. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. You've just got to wait till their contracts are up. So, um, uh, last night, the NHL Network came out with the top defenseman rankings that they done in the previous weeks with four uh, centers and wings and goaltenders. They finally came out with their defenseman rankings and no Bruins mentioned. Um, is anybody shocked or no, I'm not, I'm not overly either because it really isn't that, that explosive Bruins defenseman yet now. Yeah. I think that'll change next season. The, um, I think we'll see a certain someone on that. I'm not saying this certain somebody's going to win the Calder as the best defenseman. I already called that shot. I know you did, and I was I was just going about to get to that, but um, I could definitely see him in the top twenty rankings next season when the NHL Network gets back to it. Um, so I, I I that wasn't a big shock to me as as as, as it was to a lot of other people. Um, like there was a few out there that said Chara should have been on that, and I kind of. Three years ago, sure. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I'm on board with that. You know, uh, not not these days when he's he's kind of slow and oh. more more of a mentorship right now and his tail end of his contract. But if if the list was the top twenty defensemen that players around the league respect, Char is in the top ten. Right. Uh, I'm guessing if it was the top thirty, Tory Krug makes the list. But it's the top twenty, he doesn't make the list. I think because I didn't see this list, I'm guessing Eric Carlson was number one. Oh shoot! I don't even have it. <laughs> I, I, he was up there. Victor Hedman, um, Brett Burns. Brent Burns. Yeah, yeah Drew Doughty. The, the, the usual, usual, people, usual top five. I love the fact that the band was higher than Shea Weber, though. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. And Yossi was up there too. I am gonna go from uh, twenty to one real quickly. Okay. Uh, twenty Cam, Cam Fowler. 19, Ryan Ellis. 18, Mark Giordano. 17, Ryan McDonough. 16, Dougie Hamilton. 15, Kevin Shattenkirk. 14, Alex Petriangelo. 13, Zach Wierenski. 12, Dustin Bufflin. 11, Oliver Ekman Larson. 10, Ryan Suter. 9, Shea Weber. 8, Chris Letang. 7, Roman Yossi. 6, P.K. Subban. 5, 
Duncan Keith. Four, De Victor Hedman. Three, Drew Doughty. Two, Brent Burns. And, uh, of course, number one, Eric Carlson. Now, three How of those... did Schultz from Pittsburgh not make that list? Because he's not that good. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. I, I, he, he was I, one of the I, best I offensive defensemen last season. That's good for him. I, I, I'm sorry. I just, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan. I, I think he was really good last year. But two uh, of those guys were on Nashville. That's hilarious. And two yeah. of them were former Predators. Suter and uh, Weber. Defensive right? powerhouse well, of that's... Nashville. I was saying the Bruins have drafted all his defensemen, and soon we will be that team that has the best defensemen. Yeah, and loses some of the best defensemen because you can't pay eight guys to be top four defensemen. That's that's what happened in Nashville. Um, then again, you can't have too many good defensemen. Um, this is not directly Bruins-related, but I... I still wanted to bring it up because I'm a huge prospect guy, and this could be great news for um, communities in New England. Um, I was listening to the Pipeline podcast, a uh, great uh, program that uh, Guy Flaming uh, produces, and he had uh, Mockton Wildcat radio analyst Mike Sanderson on the show talking about the... Um, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League uh, is, is strongly interested in expanding to many uh, New England communities, and I believe that they want to start with uh, the state of Maine and bring back uh, a team uh, to Lewiston and possibly another one in the Portland area, Portland, Maine market. Uh, Lewiston did have a team um, a while ago. They were called the Lewiston Maniacs, and they had players such as... Um, uh, Jonathan Bernier, um, and I forgot the other one, but they did have, and it, they were pretty successful. And w the, one of the reasons why I think they folded, and, and I'm not sure if this is completely true, but it was the re one of the reasons, the biggest reason was the uh, the border. They were having problems with uh, players getting back and forth over the border. Some were being held for a while um, and missing games, so whether that be true or not, but um, one, what um, Mike Sanderson said that was amazing to me is that a lot of New England players, I mean, New England has become a hotbed for, um, for young talent. They want to go to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League to play. They, they don't really want to go and play college. But the fact is that the travel and family and so on are so far away. So the league wants to cater to people like that to players like that and families and start teams down here in New England so you can you can go to these games and see them without you know doing the border thing and travel so I thought that was kind of cool and um, uh, um, definitely uh, if you if you have time and, and uh, love the prospects uh, check out uh, uh, Mr. Fleming's uh, The Pipeline Show on any podcatcher that's out there it's an amazing pro um, podcast and I learned so much from it, but um, there yeah, should, there should definitely be a a better junior program yeah, in the I, states. The one thing that I love to benefit from is uh, you know I, I don't get to Canada. I, I really haven't been in since I was like in my early twenties. But if this does happen, I mean, and the Bruins do 
select somebody from uh, two or three players from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, um, and they you know they come around to uh, teams like uh, areas like Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine, or Vermont. It, it's so easy for me to travel and go and go scouting for myself. So I'm kind of looking forward to yeah. stuff like that. It would it, it makes so much sense to not only move it just across the border, just move it all across America and add, like you have Ontario Hockey League and the QMJHL and everything, maybe even expand to the States to add another branch to that. Yeah. Um, but the only problem is, like you said, the travel. Um, things have changed a lot, though, so it's probably a bit easier for players. Um but it'd be great to see. Uh, really would. And following a team from closer to New England would be a lot, a lot easier for me. Uh, and I, because a lot of the junior things that I find online, uh, it's either French, Canadian speaking, or you get it's really, really, really late at night for me. So yeah, to watch one in the states would be a very good yeah yeah hopefully that comes to fruition because I'm, I'm excited and i love i love minor pro uh, minor league hockey um in any development stage so well I've got, I've got a ton of it yeah i know you lucky bastard yeah and and obviously we've talked about it on previous shows that court is probably going to be our liaison to the um Oshawa Generals and recent Bruins draft pick uh, center uh, Jack Studnika. So, yeah, I look I forward just, to. I literally just talked to uh, my dad about it, saying that uh, I'm going to go to the home opener with him and then go to a couple games. Excellent. So we, we I definitely look forward to your insight and and uh, your overall feeling about how he plays and how he could be um, inserted into the an NHL Bruins uh, lineup in the future. Um. We got to get to um, this because I'm I'm wicked excited. So um, next up is the um, the interview I had with the former Bruins uh, player, and um, and I have to I, I have to thank Court. Uh, Court, you have been instrumental in getting um, this gentleman and your father a uh, a spot uh, today, and we recorded him earlier. So uh, let's get to the interview with Bobby Lowland. Black and Gold Hockey Podcast listeners, this is a special day in um, in our on our show. Um, we have our first uh, former NHL player and uh, former Boston Bruins player, Bobby Lalonde. Bobby, thank you very much for taking the time today and uh, and, and talking to us. Well, you're more than welcome, but uh, I'm actually excited about it. I've never done one before. Oh, excellent! So it's a first for everything. First for everything. Uh, how how is everything going? Um, and like I I I, asked, I said in the off air show that I appreciate you coming on, uh, and I know you are, you're doing uh, family things at the moment. But uh, how how are you? And um, what are you up to these days? Well, I'm great. Uh, I, I just retired. I was 32 years with Allstate. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to play as much golf as I can because I need to practice. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we've had a lot of rain this year, so. My retirement year has been not as good as I was hoping it to be, but overall, no, I'm doing great. Excellent. How is the golf game? Uh, it's getting better. We'll just leave it right there. 
<laughs> Always a work, a work in progress, right? It's a work in progress. There you go. <laughs> Alright, um, let's just dive right into the uh, some questions that I'd like to um, have you answer. Um, at what age did you start playing hockey while growing up in the Montreal, Quebec area? I believe, I'm, I'm, I've got to look back at all this, I think I was around six. Okay. Around six. In fact, there's a funny story, my dad, I went out and played for this team, my dad didn't know I was playing for them, and I came back and he said, how did you do, did the team win or lose? I said, no, we won. Well, how did you do? I said, we won six, nothing, really. So what did you do? I, said, I got all six goals. <laughs> so he looks at me, he said, no, no, you didn't. You couldn't have. You couldn't. So he called the coach up, and the coach comes out to the house, and he said, I got all this equipment for him. We want him on our team. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. It was, it was, it was different. Um, who inspired you to play the game, whether it was a family member or a player of your favorite team growing up? Well, I'm from Montreal, so naturally I was a Montreal Canadian fan at that time. And my favorite player at that time was naturally Henry Richard. Nice. Who I got to met, uh, meet many, many times over the years. And uh, he was a great man, a great player, and, he, and he, he's a great legend in hockey himself. Yeah, a great ambassador to the game. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, tell me about your experience in the Quebec Junior Hockey League with the Schwinnigan Bruins, where you posted 59 po 58 points in 44 games, ultimately oh, getting gosh. noticed by the Ontario Hockey Association's Montreal Junior Canadiens where you took yeah. off at a higher level, scoring yeah. 255 points in only 169 games. Different times back then, but um, uh, Shawinigan, I love Shawinigan, but I was very young. I think I was 14 or 15 at the time, so I wasn't really sure what was going on at that time. But uh, the uh, the Montreal Junior Canadiens had Claude Ruel and, uh, and Eric Taylor. They were the scouts for, for Montreal. And they and and uh, my dad knew one of them, Eric Taylor. They came to Shawinigan to watch me play, and uh, during the during my end of that year, uh, in the summer, they came to the house and they wanted me to come to Montreal. But I was still owned by Shawinigan, so they had to make uh, these deals at that time. And and I eventually ended up playing for the Junior Canadians for three years, which was an experience all by itself. I mean, you know, you go to the game and you got seventeen, eighteen thousand a night at the game. It was it was crazy. That's amazing. Absolutely. It really was. Really was. Um, so you, you definitely transitioned well to to the different league <clears throat> and the higher level. You can definitely see that in your point total. I played with a lot of good hockey players. So that junior team, uh, the sixty eight sixty nine Memorial Cup team, uh, we went in with eleven rookies. We picked to finish last, and we didn't lose too many games. And out of that team, I think 15 of us made the NHL, so it was a darn good hockey club. Wow, sounds like it. Um, going up to your draft year, uh, where where were you and what were you doing? Or what was going through your head in 1971 amateur draft when you were selected by the National Hockey League's Vancouver Canucks in the second round? You after... know, yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. But uh, just especially having um, – an ex explosive year in your last year with the junior Canadians posted 127 points in 61 games. So what was going through your head as you were, as you, were you in, were you at the NHL draft at that time? I was, we were at the queen Elizabeth hotel in Montreal, but the draft at that time really <clears throat> like the year before 
it was new. Because prior to that, the Montreal Canadiens owned the first two French-Canadian players in the draft, no matter where they were coming from. So that was all, it was all new. I remember when Gilbert Perrault, who I was fortunate enough to play with in 68, 69, he was picked by Buffalo, but Vancouver thought they had him because of the spin of the wheel. And there was very, it was controversial there for a while, but he ended up going to Buffalo because they realized the wheel was on, I think, number two or whatever it was at that time. And then, uh, and, and I, I can't remember who went to, at that time, went to Vancouver. Um, I think, if anything, I think, I can't remember, I think he's the general manager of, of Florida. Uh, Dale Talon. Dale Talon, okay. Yeah, so, so Dale went to Vancouver. And Dale was a good hockey player too, but he wasn't. He wasn't Gilbert Pearl. I mean, <laughs> right. There was, there was only one Gilbert Pearl. And he's an incredible talent. Uh, but the draft was new back then. I mean, you know, we were all sitting down. We didn't know what to expect, if you want the truth. We had no idea. We went, we were told to go, and uh, and we took it from there. So it was a totally different experience, uh, more or less. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, we didn't have agents. We didn't know. Not, none of that was part of it. Like, after once I, I went to Vancouver... I had an agent, but I mean, prior to the draft, we didn't have anybody. Right. We not, didn't know. We didn't know any. We, actually, we didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not like today's days when you pretty much get oh, an agent God. when you're 14, 15, or 16 years yeah. old in the Canadian juniors. Yeah, they're draft. They're going after them early. They sign them early because the the money today is is uh, just slightly different than money back in, that, <laughs> in my day. Slightly. slightly <laughs> I mean, you could buy a franchise for three million. Three million now gets a hockey player. Right. <laughs> uh, after playing for Vancouver uh, in the organization for a better part of six years, how did you feel when the Canucks left you unprotected in 1977 when the expansion draft and Atlanta you know, Flames organization claimed you, and then move you know, you don't, move into a different country? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a trade in itself. Where we knew something was up. But you never know. And when it happens, you know, your first team is like you figure you're going to be on it forever. Right. You don't expect to to one day get the, the phone call saying, by the way, uh, you're no longer wanted in this franchise. And we made a decision to move in a different direction. I think that that word move in a different direction uh, is, is used an awful lot in the NHL, especially for coaches more than anything else probably today. But I mean, back. In the, yeah, I did not. Uh, you know, it was a shock, naturally, like anything else. Uh, but uh, everything worked out. I mean, you know, things work out for the better sometimes. It's probably the, the best thing I did at that time. I got to play in Atlanta. Atlanta was – we had a good team in Atlanta. We did well in Atlanta, and it brought me to Boston, so I can't complain about it. Uh, it's a great segue into my next question um, uh, coming to Boston. As a National Hockey League player, how was the uh, experience when you – when your respected teams came into the old Boston Garden, as in – you know, you're the visitor. You're always going to be the bad guy. But um, how was the feeling the the of the crowd and the the smaller rank? Well, you know, I think the smaller the you know, we go to Montreal and the, the big rink, and we always struggle with Montreal and the big rink. And then they would come to our home rink and the gardens in Boston, and 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 they would struggle in the small rink because they couldn't use all the speed that they had. Uh, I think it was a especially for our defense in Boston, uh, playing in a small rink was a lot better than playing in the big rink because they didn't have as much ice to, to, uh, to cover. But uh, I love playing in that rink. I mean, and the fans, it's almost like they were on top of you. 
I mean, if you hiccup, they knew. Oh, he just hiccuped. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was amazing. I mean, I mean, we had the the group up on top. We used to call them the gallery gods. I mean, they were there wasn't a, a minute in the game that you you didn't know they were there. They were they were so loud. Yeah, I I remember going to the old garden back in the day, and I do remember what you're saying that the the um the stands. I mean the uh the the upper levels were basically hanging over the ice. and, right and over I, the ice. I do remember the gallery guards because they were always banging on the air conditioning unit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. We, I, I, I enjoyed my years in Boston. Uh, uh, we lived there for quite a while, and uh, it was great. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I don't watch a, a lot of hockey anymore, but I'm still, uh, I'm a, once a Bruin, always a Bruin. Absolutely. We love hearing that. Um, in 1979, when you were traded to Boston for future considerations, how was the experience playing as as the good guy now, but also playing uh, under the familiar voice of Fred Creighton, who was uh, previously the bench boss for your team in Atlanta? Freddie was a great coach. He was a tough coach, though. He was he was old school. He's a lot like Babcock. Right? I look at Babcock. He's old school, and he, and he brings young young coaches in to help him out. But uh, Freddie was a tough, tough uh, coach, hockey man. He knew the game. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough that he uh, respected my abilities to bring me to Boston, and and I think it worked out for everybody at that time. Um, this one, this one is is an intriguing question to me because it's about a player, and I'm sure you're going to have great words about this gentleman because I've I've met him several times, and he's always a class act. But um, after hearing so much buildup about defenseman Ray Bork, who was also born in the Montreal area, um, how was it for you to see him first off and also play with him and, and just be that teammate um, the way that everybody knows he is, is to be that class act? You know, he, he was a, an incredible talent. I mean, we all know that. And, and, and he was a great talent on the ice and off the ice. Ray never changed. He was Ray was on, Ray was off. I mean, he was one person. Uh, uh, he was uh, he was like the guy next door to you. Uh, he, he you would never know he was the great player he was. And and great players, that's the way they are. And I remember the first time I went on the ice and practiced with him. I remember looking, turn around to Cash as a Cash. I think we're going to win a few games this year. Take a look at this kid. I mean, he was amazing. I mean, he was powerful, strong. I mean. It wasn't anything that he didn't do wrong. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up watching him. I've seen his most of his games throughout my um, my life, and just a, a remarkable player. The the vision that he had uh, to uh, transition the puck out of the zone and and oh. and find a, a player up ice for that stretch pass before yeah. before he got the two line offside pass, but um, yeah, uh, no. just amazing. But, you know when. When he went to Colorado and he and he won the cup, I, I sat down there and I, I think I was crying. I I was so happy for him; it was crazy. Yeah, because he he so much deserved that. Absolutely, it was definitely an emotional time for uh, for for him and and uh, Bruins fans back in Boston. Yeah, it certainly was. Um, after your NHL career was seemingly winding down, you appeared in 19 games, posting 17 points for the CHL's Oklahoma City Stars and one game for the Calgary Flames before packing it up to Europe for the HC Davos team. Um, how was that experience from going to a North American uh, professional um, experience to moving over to uh, a, a bigger ice and, and different European game? 
Yeah, I, I didn't. First of all, I enjoyed. I, I was always considered a skater when I played. So the uh, the bigger ice was fine with me. But uh, being away from your family and being in a total different country, I, uh, that was very difficult. That was hard at that time. So because my family stayed in Boston, so I was out there. I think I was. I think I played for them for maybe uh, seven, eight weeks. It wasn't a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I enjoyed it at that time. But I also knew that I said. Uh, playing in the NHL and then going playing there was like night and day. Uh, it just wasn't the same for me anymore. I, I kind of lost my desire to be the player I was before. Uh, so I, I knew it was time for me to just pack it in. And um, doing some research on you and your career uh, towards the end, did you have knee problems at all? I did. I did. Uh, my, my, uh, my right knee was always a bit of a, an issue because I had the – I had ripped it up back in 75, 76, and uh, back then we didn't have the technology you have today for operations or, or knee injuries or shoulder, whatever injury you may have. So back then I had the knee basically stapled back together again. Oh. So there was always issues with the knee. Oh, the visual. Jeez. <laughs> That's it was, Well, you look at Bobby. I mean, Bobby Orr. I mean, look how many. He had a roadmap on one of his legs. Oh, I mean, yeah. They would never have done that today. Right. Which meant his career would have been exp- extended uh, many, many more years, and the numbers that you would see would have been double. Oh yeah, easily, easily. He's still, he's still in my mind the greatest player ever. Oh yeah, I, I still today I watch constant videos of him. I wasn't alive when he played, but um... uh, he was, he was ama- amazing, amazing. I mean, I was nervous when I was on the ice just playing against him. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine seeing that guy come and, up and, and just like you know, and, and gathering then, speed. Through the, you know, oh, it was scary. And then I went to Boston and I seen him, you know, I practice, we seen him all the time. And he was just like Ray, uh, you know, superstars like that. are just, just people. Yep. And then people don't, a lot of people don't realize they're afraid to go up to them and that, but they're just people. Um, as a player known for skill and speed being only 5'5", how did you overcome the odds of being a small, the smallest player of your time and playing a game uh, filled with giants, seemingly? Uh, I mean, you've got to take what, what, what God gave you. And I took my speed and my, and my skill set, and I used it for myself. Um, you, you've got to know where the ice – you've got to know the ice itself. You've got to know your opponents you're playing against. Um, I mean, I actually liked it when it was rough. People don't realize that. I mean, I mean, there was a lot of like Cash used to call me Cato. He said, "I ain't playing against you. You're gonna stick that stick in a place I don't think I want to have it." <laughs> I mean, you know, like coming in the ice, I'd come off the ice and Cato, you did it again. <laughs> so oh. I mean, you, you, I mean, you get the respect. I mean, I played eleven years, so I mean, my first couple of years, it's always they test you, but after that. I wasn't tested that much because they knew I was there to stay for a while. Nice, that's awesome. Um, and it, and throughout your NHL career, whether it be Boston or Vancouver or Atlanta, if I want to know that one player, if somebody, if an opposing team was taking liberties on you, would you stick up for yourself, or did you have a favorite guy that came in and and took care of business for you? No, back in those days, you got to remember, we didn't have. I mean, I played with some tough guys in Boston, with Stanley and Wensick and Secord yeah. and, and 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 Taz, Terry O'Reilly. These guys are tough guys. Oh yeah. But uh, but uh, if you want the respect of your teammates and the respect of the team, you got to stand up for yourself. I mean, you take the good with the bad. So I mean, 
no, I had this. I stood up for myself. I mean, if things were going really bad, then we all we all got together like we did in New York one night, and went up in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think back at that, and I look back at that, that that would never happen today. But I mean, back then it happened. I mean, you know, like you got Mike Milbury hitting the guy over the head with his shoe. I mean, and then we had three buses. A lot of people don't realize that we had three buses parked in the back in in the in the rink. And we got in one bus, and they had two fake buses with cops following the buses. And we had to lie down in the bus going out of the rink in New York because everybody was scared we were going to get attacked. Yeah, that was, this was, that was actually my next, in 1979 against the New York Rangers. Uh, crazy, crazy. I mean, the game was, the game was pretty much over. The, it, I it was mean, over. And, and it was and, a 4-3 win against, for the Bruins. Yeah, and, and Espo missed the breakaway in the last minute. So he wasn't happy. So, <laughs> so the game's over, and from the video that I've seen, it seems that both teams stayed on the ice and, and, and were chirping at each other. Well, what basically really happened, we were getting off the ice, and one of the fans near the, near the glass to the entrance of our dressing room grabbed Stanley's stick and then tried to hit Stan with the stick, and then everything just broke open. Yeah. Everything went nuts. And then Milbury hopping the boards and slapping Everybody the guy around with a shoe. Like, I think we had uh, uh, most of the team were over the glass, and <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, like I said, that would never happen today. No, it wouldn't. But definitely, um, it was fun. It was yeah, fun. Yeah, definitely watching that on on videos nowadays, and and also um, watching my favorite movie, Slapshot. It was it was very similar. <laughs> they could have moved, made a movie about us that you know, yeah, right. But that that was it was interesting. Like and we we must have talked about that incident for a long time. The boys did in the bus and that. I mean, we were all laughing about it because it it was you know we're, we're thinking about Mike hitting the poor guy with the head with his shoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bobby Lalonde, I really appreciate your time today and, and answering some of these questions. I'm um, I'm sure it's going to be really good for our our listeners to listen. And um, also. Uh, I got to give uh, kudos to your your son Court. He's a a, tre- a tremendous uh, uh, addition to our program and has oh. been since day one. So, thank you, sir, for for bringing uh, a life like his into the world and um, and having him heard on our program. Well, you're more than welcome, and thank you. Uh, and also, um, I hope to meet you in March when you and the family take a trip to Boston. I, I hear that that's well, in the works. Well, we're thinking about it. We'll have to wait and see how it all comes about, but uh, time will tell. Absolutely. I know court's going down. Court's going down for sure, but I'm not 100 percent sure if I'm I'm going to be part of that yet. Well, if you do, if you do happen to make it, I would love to um, shake your hand and meet you personally. Absolutely, it, it would be a pleasure. Awesome, everybody. This is court. I mean, um, it's Bobby Lalonde, and uh, thank you so much for being on the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, sir. Yeah, thank uh, thank you, and have a great day for yourself. And that was just a fantastic interview uh, and a first for the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Um, I was I was so pumped to have uh, Court's dad, Bobby, and uh, I was uh, the questions I asked were were answered um, thoroughly, and and he, and he seemed to have a, a great time as this was his first interview on a podcast uh, ever, so it was a first for both of us. Um, and one of the questions I really liked was at the end when I asked him about. Uh, being a smaller player and and the smallest player in, in, in at his time and uh, amongst and playing amongst uh, teams that just seemingly have giants and then 
his response was amazing and him saying that you know it when i asked him is like who was that guy that was there for you when when some when another team's uh player took liberties and he really said that you know at at that time in the nhl you had to stick up for yourself and you had to prove yourself to to not only yourself but your teammates about you know he, he didn't have the Bobby wasn't the type of player or anybody in that NHL didn't have the type of uh, suitcase carrier like um, uh, Wayne Gretzky had with Marty McSorley or you know how teams they seem to trade for and then all of a sudden here comes the the tough guy with them along so uh, you really had to prove yourself back in those days and I found the story amazing and his point his point production in in juniors junior hockey was uh, unbelievable I mean 127 points and 61 games for the junior Canadians. Unbelievable. That is absolutely crazy. Um, it, it's going to be amazing to listen to. I can't wait, wait to get around to listening to it. Even yeah. myself. Yeah. So um, hopefully you guys all enjoyed the hype. Uh, I know I teased it up for about a week, but um, you get to finally listen to it now, and and, and, and hopefully you like it. Um, uh, we're going to cut our uh, podcast a little short today uh, due to time and family obligations. So, um, Rob, thank you very much. As always, Court, thank you, sir, for for setting everything up with your dad and um, and just making this uh, this day a complete um, uh, absolute gold star for you, sir. Uh, I was I was nervous, but I was pumped to get it done and over with. And now I can. I have a sense of feeling that I can I can be a little more um, open to getting uh, former players and and coaches and so on on so big step for us. All right, boys. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please go to uh, Apple Podcast. Please go to Google Play, Player FM, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, Grandstand Sports Network, um, any place where we can find uh, our show. Uh, give us a rating, give us uh, a couple of positive words, give us some negative words. It's up to you, but please do it. It helps us all out. Um, thank you very much for listening, and we, we will be back for the hat trick of uh, weeks uh, next week. So thank you very much, and see you later. Thanks for tuning in to this week's show. You can follow the guys on Twitter at Black and Gold. 277 at Court Lalonde and at Rob Forty Bruins. You can also send us an email to the show's account at blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com.